Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content, and I'm joined by, first of all, Ollie. Um, Ollie Johnson, Junior Editorial Content Producer. And the lucky one of us that got to go home first. Uh, Sam Davis, Group Content Manager. <laughs> be honest, Sam, how does it feel to already be done with your farm next week? It feels weird because I've n- I don't think I've ever come home the day before the end of the event. So it was odd having to like, because obviously I got in at midnight. Mm. <clears throat> so then I woke up this morning thinking I needed to unpack. Um, I've recorded all of my um, all of my meetings or pretty much all of them. So then I had to kind of get those into the transcription software. Then I had to get through maybe a hundred odd emails and then try and figure out what on earth I'm doing today and in what order so a bit of a weird one I'll be honest so what you're saying is next year you'd rather stay here till the Friday evening uh <laughs> Friday afternoon maybe yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> um well we've actually had a really good week in Frankfurt this week we're here at Form Next, so Ollie and I are recording uh from the press room at Form Next, where I'm very much going to miss the endless bottles of full fat coke and the super salty pretzels of a morning um and sam like you said is already at home but we've got tons to cover from this week there have been lots of announcements as there always is around form next and we've seen plenty of new machines ollie has been super busy running around sticking a camera in front of people's faces and getting some close-ups of some of that new machinery and um, asking some pretty interesting questions as well which i think is <laughs> given us a lot to think about um Sam and I have also been running around with various interviews, meeting different people, and I think a lot of stuff that we've got from this week we'll be covering in more detail in the weeks to come rather than on this podcast. But we just wanted to do, as we always do, a little bit of a roundup of just some of the biggest things that we've seen this week with some of the most interesting uh, launches and conversations. Um, there's plenty more that you can read on our website. If you go to tc2magazine.com, you can find all the biggest launch news and also on our LinkedIn page as well. So search for the TCT group and you'll find loads of uh, videos and other news and things like that from this week. But for now, um, I think I want to turn it over to Ollie first because um, I don't want to put you and I down, Sam, uh, but I think Ollie's probably got in more steps than you and I this week. <laughs> I reckon so, yeah. <laughs> um, so Ollie, go on, tell us some of the... Tell some of the best, well, maybe not even the best things, but just some of those interesting things that you've seen this week. Um, so there's, there was a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I've been getting like you know videos of people explaining their machines, been asking some people what their unpopular three D printing opinions <laughs> are, which you know we'll we'll share to our audience later in the year. But um, so I spoke to I think close to twenty different people. Twenty, wow. Um, and. I think the most interesting thing I saw was actually the first thing I saw, which was the new multi-material printer from Lithos. Mm -hmm. So it's the Serifab 2M30. Um, It's a really interesting system because you hear a lot about multi-material printers, but a lot of them, they can do different materials, but they don't really uh, blend, Mm. for lack of a better term, the materials in the way that I've, I've seen this one do. So you can print two different ceramics in one part, um, you can print the same ceramic but with different porosities in one part, um, colour variations of the ceramics, and you can also uh, blend in like metals and polymers as well. Um, and the, 
one of the really interesting factors about it is two different serials can even be printed within the same layer, mm. which is a really unique thing, which opens up lots of different uh, applications for you know like medical and even uh, I think conductive metal being yeah. printed on ceramics as well. Um, yeah. The- and- there was a there was a lot of interesting stuff on the Lithos stands. I think we've all visited the Lithos booth um, this week, and I think um, yeah, you're right. We do hear an awful lot about multi-material printing, but I don't think I've seen anything quite like this before. And I think one of the challenges around multi-material, especially with things when you're trying to mix um, materials that need sintering afterwards. So as Lithos has said, they're talking about combining conductive materials and ceramics all in in the one print and. The difficulty with that is isn't just in the printing it's then in the sintering afterwards because of course you need different sintering parameters for the different materials and there's been a lot of chemistry and a lot of understanding having to go in going to figuring out how do you do this successfully and um i'm not too sure like how it kind of works but i think a lot of that comes from like if you roll it way back to just the actual slurry material that, that it's made with um so there's lots of different things to consider which i think perhaps is, is are the pieces we've been missing over the, the years trying to figure out how to really make some multi-material printing and even though they've got customers already i think it is still very much a work in progress this technology i think that um i believe they've sold a machine this week actually based on on, um, on that technology already um but even so people are using it uh, for these end use applications but i do think it's the kind of thing where they're really looking to customers to help them come up with okay what what is this what is this good for what's kind of the next generation of stuff that we can do with this so um yeah i agree that's probably probably has been one of the most interesting things that we've seen on the on the floor this year they've got a lot of really cool applications as well that they're just not allowed to talk about (laughs) which happens quite often in this industry you know it's it's a pain for us because we'd love to write about it but you know there's reasons why they're not allowed to speak about certain things (laughs) you know ndas and stuff like that but um, i think maybe if in the future uh, applications with this new machine it's definitely something to keep an eye on and um, I also spoke to Robos I know Sam will have more on Robos in a bit but uh, I did a video with them talking about their new Argo 1000 uh, and that video is absolutely blown up on LinkedIn it's got like over 60 likes hundreds of views so uh, yeah check that one out (laughs) Sam have have you have you spoke to Robos this week yeah, I have. So I just, um, <clears throat> I was just passing the booth. I didn't have anything to set up, but I I didn't quite understand from the press release what was going on with that Argo 1000 machine. So, but basically they, I think they launched it a couple of years ago and it was, um, it's obviously this huge machine, like um, a thousand meters, um, a thousand meters, a thousand millimeters um, <laughs> in, in XYZ. So um, a meter cubed. Um, build volume and they they launched it and it was a a filament printer um you know kind of the the super polymers and the and the carbon fiber stuff that that they're renowned for but with this new machine and and they've they've kind of added a a technology called hypermelt onto it um they've basically turned it into a pellet extrusion machine rather than a filament extrusion machine um and the reason for that is because um the, the build volume is, is so big, the print speeds of filament was just too slow. Um, and so by turning it into a pellet extrusion system, um, they've been able to, to increase production speeds and um, make cost reductions of around 60%. Um, and they still have the, the heated chamber of up to 180 degrees 
um, allowing them to kind of get to some high temp materials. I think, I think they might want to kind of, you know, improve that further to get, to get even, even more um, high temp materials on there. And they've got um, an independent dual extruder capability, which you can either use for support material or to double the productivity again. Um, but basically that machine now will just be a pellet extrusion machine. It won't be a, a filament machine. And I think they they'll have it kind of commercially ready by, when next year and um the prototype on the booth had a single extruder but when they launch it it'll have that dual extruder capability um so yeah i thought that was quite interesting that you know, that had been launched and then quite quickly they've they've realized that actually that filaments going at you know across that build volume wasn't wasn't going to work or at least they're going to have to go back to the drawing board on that and kind of you know, enhance the, the, the componentry to make that possible filament. Um, and so for now, at least they've, they've kind of pivoted and, and re-released it as a pallet extrusion uh, printer. I think that's the nice example of a bit of a theme I've seen this week where we've got all these different types of technologies in the industry. And I feel like we're at a place now where the invention has sort of happened already. We've got all the kind of mainline technologies and now it's really about companies finding ways to just to just to kind of reassess it and look at what works, look at what doesn't work and, and make those like either technology changes, little tweaks, kind of not not the big step changes, but rather just little steps to make things better. And, you know, a company recognizing like actually this is not the most efficient way to do it and let's change it and do something quite radical like that. I think it's I think it's really interesting, but also a nice sign of how they're actually just paying attention and looking at like what people really need this technology for, the kind of things that people need from it, and and just and making those changes. So yeah, I think that's a that's a a pretty good one. And like Ollie, as you say, I know you've got a video about that technology um up on our LinkedIn page, I think on our website as well at the moment. So if you want to find anything else about that, there's more details over there. Um, Ollie, you've got even more I know on that list. There. So I've I've got two two more uh, two more things. So I spoke to Photocentric yesterday mm-hmm. about the Titan, which is a mahoosh. It is a Titan. <laughs> it's a Titan. Um, it's the console the world's largest LCD three D printer, and they had a huge like Aquaman statue. Not Aquaman, Ali. It's not Aquaman. Um, unnamed aquatic superhero, <laughs> uh, and it was like. Uh, very very tall close to a, a certain actor it's jason momoa jason guys um, and that was printed in like two parts um and they also had a component on their stand which i can't remember what they called it but it was like a, a sort of cuboid shape which showed the full it basically took up the full uh, build volume mm. of the machine to show you how big you can something you can print in one go um which i thought was a really cool way to show truly how big the, the build volume is um, yeah we went to see photocentric a few weeks ago now and and um, what's quite nice when you walk through their facility i think you, you sort of forget the history of that company and um it, its foundations were in making these photopolymer materials and they do all this other cool stuff as well in, in that area but when i think about when i first met photocentric at ces was it ces maybe in like 2015 or 16 um, they were using the LCD technology to make these real lower cost accessible 3D printers but to see now how scalable that technology is the fact that you can is it a 32 inch LCD screen I think it is in that 32 that inch 8k yeah screen. to see how much that technology is just able to be 
um, as I say, scaled into into kind of a more industrial solution has been really interesting to go and see and just actually been able to look at the different machines and kind of the evolution of those machines at their facility was was really nice to see. And the fact that, you know, I could go and stand in one of those Titan machines now and I'd have, it'd probably be bigger than my flat, to be honest. I'd have plenty of room to move around. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, that, that was kind of cool to see that this week. And, um, you know, if you wanted a nice picture of Jason Lamar, you could do that as well. So... <laughs> Did you get one, Laura? Do you know what? I, I'm so silly. I didn't. And I went to do it when I was at the facilities and I felt a bit too embarrassed to be like, um, just a moment. I'm just going to go and do this. But if you do find half of him in my suitcase later, um, I cannot be held responsible. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, so before I go into talking about my final thing that I'd like to mention, which is Foundry Lab, uh, I just remembered MX3, MX3D had a really, really big machine. But uh, when I spoke to them, I found out that that isn't their newest machine and their newest machine was so big they couldn't actually bring it because it would have been bigger than their entire stand so that is a uh, pretty impressive and the speed of their printer as well is is really really impressive like uh, when i was on their stand somebody was um uh, showing like, a, a part to uh, like, uh, someone who was visiting and said guess how long it took to print this and he said like a couple hours or something he was like less than an hour um, and so people are like really really impressed by it um and then foundry lab are a new zealand based company who uh, do cast parts using 3d printed molds and i'd like to mention them because i spoke to their ceo david moody and he had quite an interesting uh, answer to uh, what is your unpopular 3d printed <laughs> okay um I wasn't intending to reveal the answers to this until the videos are posted, but I thought this is, this is one that maybe can generate some conversation. He says, it's unpopular 3D print, printing opinion is, you should stop 3D printing. Okay, elaborate. So he says, because he's in like the casting industry, he says if people are casting parts in production, then they should uh, be casting the prototypes as well, and not, uh, proto, not 3D printing the prototypes. And that's something that they're really pushing. Like on their stand, they, kept, they said stop 3D printing, like all over their um, their stand. So I thought that was quite an interesting opinion. That, sure. um, I'm sure will generate some some conversation in the industry. I'm sure, they've made some <laughs> friends next to their neighbouring stands. This yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as I said, there's plenty more um, of that sort of thing over on our LinkedIn page. Ollie's done a lot of different um like kind of close-ups and little uh, chats and i know you've got a lot of those unpopular opinions kind of yeah. quick fire questions that you've um brought around the show for this week so i'm sure we'll hear loads of different mm-hmm. um, interesting opinions from that over the next few weeks but uh, yeah there's tons more stuff on there so um go and check it out sam what about you again maybe not even the best thing you've seen this week but you know the most eye-catching the most interesting what what have you had a look at um i think Judging on the um, rows of people that um, kind of spilled out of the hall and onto the top of the stairs at the Stratasys press conference, (laughs) I'll go with that because I turned up like on time, I would say, to that press conference and then immediately realised I'd made a mistake because I couldn't see a thing. I could only hear it um, because there were so many people there and I thought that was I was quite surprised at that because they did kind of tease what the machine was. They gave a few details a few days before we got out to Frankfurt. And so I, I didn't think it would be 
that well attended. And I've been to press conferences at Fornix where there's, you know, literally just a couple of people there. Um, and so we'll go with that one because what Stratasys have done is um, launched another FDM system, the F3300. Um, and this, although it's the latest of a, you know, a long line of, of FDM machines that um, Stratasys have released over the years, it, it's different from the rest in that it's equipped with a, a tool changer. So we've seen, um, you know, E3D come out with, with a tool changer product. Prusa have utilized a, a tool changer in their XL machines. I think Desktop Metal have used one in their, um, their fiber machine in the past. Um, but this is the first time that Stratasys has adopted one. And the motivation behind that is basically speed and, and throughput. Um, and so the, the tool head that Stratasys is using on, on this machine is a, is a custom built one manufactured by ATI um, and, the, and the one that's on the F3300 consists of four print heads so you can either um, print multiple colors of that I, I imagine you can have a support material on there if one print head breaks down another can pick up the slack um, and they can print parts with with multiple resolutions as well in the same build um, and so as they were were kind of unveiling this machine with a um a kind of a big wooden box that kind of just fell apart and, and revealed the machine um toyota's dallas martin who listeners to the podcast will know um from a podcast he did an innovators on innovators podcast he did last year um he was up there as the the first user of the machine and um the first uh paying customer of the machine um and he was telling me um the day after the launch that the uh the tool changer capability basically helps them to to get a 50 percent speed increase compared to the f900 machine that they have um i think the f900 still has a bigger build volume but with these with these multiple um extruders and print heads that the speed benefit um is quite palpable for for toyota who are using the machine um, to build tool and jigs and fixtures. So Dallas is a is in production engineering at, at Toyota, and so he's responsible for getting those those jigs and fixtures to the production line. I think he said that the production lines in you know at the facilities he works at and with are getting off five thousand cars a day. So they have to be pretty speedy with with getting the tools out to the engineers. Um, and, and basically he was telling me, um, and I'll have more on this in an article that will go out next week, that um, they've been working with Stratasys on this machine for a few years and Stratasys themselves started development on it back in 2018, I think. Um, and at some, some, some way through the process, they started reaching out to um, their existing customers, one of which was Toyota. And Dallas and his team basically provided Stratasys with a big list of things that they wanted the machine to be able to do. Um, so one of them was that it should just be quieter. Um, another was that there needed to be less air consumption. They needed bigger material bays and filament spools so that there's less spool changeover. Um, and they wanted less, um, no, they wanted um, a, an auto calibration capability as well to help reduce labor time. Um, and so Toyota have had this machine now, I don't know for how long exactly, 
but they've been using it and then they've they've put in the PO to become the first customer. Um, they're pleased of it. Stratasys are pleased of it. They've they've told me that um, this was um, this is basically just the first of a series. So there's going to be a, an F three thousand series, I think, um, and there are going to be more machines. And basically, the the plan from here is to get bigger um, with the build volume. And obviously, you know, we we've talked already about how Robos has, has struggled with that. Um, Stratasys think they can do it. Um, they think the the machine. Um, will be kind of automation ready as well. They said there's, I think they said there's 400 data points when you when you just print a part on there. Um, they 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 say it's you know fully traceable. So they're gonna they're gonna automate the systems. They're gonna they're gonna try and go bigger. They're gonna potentially add more um, print heads and extruders as they do that. Um, and so it was a it was a big launch, but um, you know that they're, they're they're telling me that it's. It, it's the beginning, not the end. Like this is just the start of a series of machines now that will complement the the rest of the FDM portfolio. But there's a there's a much greater focus at this point on speed and throughput, and obviously while maintaining the you know the quality of of their previous machines too. Yeah, I, I do think that launch was a was the way to do it to have that, and then have your first customer stand up straight after it and kind of validate the the technology was a really cool way to to announce it. But um, I must admit, I think the crowd sound were a lot to do with the fact that it was one of the few press conferences where you were offered free beer and food <laughs> potentially, and they probably got the timing right in that regard. Yeah, because. I, there were people even while the press conference was going on walking around with a beer in hand. Yeah. So they, yeah, I think everyone was scratching their heads at the point of a 5:30 p.m. press conference on the first day, but yeah. it probably worked. To be fair, and they had. <laughs> to be fair, they also had Scott Crump there, who's obviously a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Toyota is a pretty good first customer to have. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a, a launch done quite well, I think. I think one of the best things I've seen this week, um, I felt like should have come with a lot more fanfare like that, but but really didn't. But um, it's also that sort of this company's style to, to do things a bit more quietly, or at least from my point of view anyway. So um, Renishaw announced um, it was a new technology, but also um, a new machine that features this technology. So Renishaw kind of been teasing um, a next generation of the metal additive manufacturing technology for some time now. Um, I went to visit them back in, I think it was April time for their 50th anniversary. Um, and they didn't really give us any information about what this was going to be then, but they did tell us that we could expect to see something towards the end of the year. Um, so it has been revealed now that it, the new technology is called Tempus, which means uh, time in Latin. Um, and because of that, it means that they are reducing build times by up to 50% with this Tempest technology. It's a combination of hardware and software. Um, and what it basically does is it allows lasers to be fired during the laser powder bed process while the, recoder, while the powder recoder is still moving. And it's it's kind of difficult to, to, to explain or convey that because I think until you actually watch it in the window of an additive machine, you don't quite get a sense of, of, of how that's even possible. And I must admit, even looking through the window myself, it's quite tense watching the Rico to move and then seeing the lasers quickly like follow after it because you think, this isn't right. <laughs> this is not what I'm used to. Um, 
but it is genuinely um, a very different technology. And I think there was an assumption that um, when Renishaw mentioned a while about that they were going to announce this next generation of technology that it would just kind of continue this industry-wide trend of going for more lasers like i've said it before but Renishaw were one of the the first companies to introduce the system with with you know quad laser capabilities and as we've seen in recent years um, um companies have come out with machines with eight lasers 12 lasers i think there was one at tch this, this year with 26 lasers on board so kind of seeing this this um increasing number of lasers been stacked onto machines um but with this, they've kind of carried on their own sort of trend, really, of just really innovating quietly, reimagining the already established technology with this Ren AM 500 system and really tweaking both a hardware and software combination. And with these advanced scanning al- algorithms and, and, as I say, this this recodes technology um, without having a dip in, in any quality. So rather than, rather than reinventing new technology, they've just really like built upon this one that's already very much accepted in the industry um so that that was that was really good to see i got to chat to louise uh, callanan who is the head of additive manufacturing so there'll be an interview going up on the website and um, probably around next week when i eventually get the time and enthusiasm to write at words from <laughs> from form next um but there were lots of big examples um on the beef to show how those um those build time reductions are really playing out in in real time so um Alloyed, um, a company um, focused on metal additive manufacturing, has been using this technology now since 2021 for consumer electronics parts. And there was a stack of smartwatch casings on the booth. And we've seen a lot about smartwatches recently, and everyone's been getting excited about the Apple Watch case and all that stuff. But um, this was, um, I'm not too sure what, what watch it was from, but um, a metal smartwatch case, um, which apparently had a 20% reduction in build time using the Tempest technology. So shaving off three hours of build time, which is pretty substantial for volume production quantities. And, you know, as we want to get additive into these more kind of consumer-based um, products, that sort of thing, where we are seeing these massive quantities, that that kind of time saving is going to be really, really important. But then also things like medical parts too. So there was one example where it was a, a build plate full of 32 um 32 dentures which can be printed in under three hours um which renishaw claims shows a productivity boost of 61 percent so um really good examples really big numbers showing how this kind of technology will have genuine improvements when we're talking about additive manufacturing for production but again i think it was just um nice to see a company looking at the technology they've already got and kind of looking for those pain points of thinking like how do we improve this and doing something that i don't really think anyone would have guessed they were going to do certainly i didn't anyway and um as i was stood there chatting to to louise i was just like how on earth when you showed us around your facility back in april and you were all so open and we had we saw machines stripped open and you could see right into the gubbins of everything how on earth did they manage to keep this secret <laughs> Um, but they did a very good job of keeping it all secret um, for Form Next. And, um, yeah, I think it will be interesting to see how the, co- how the industry responds to that. And just to add there, too, so the Tempest technology is the is the technology I've just described, but they've also launched the Ren AM 500 Ultra, which is um, just another extension to the Ren AM 500 series of machines. So you've already got the Ren AM single laser, the Ren AM quad laser, so four lasers on board that. And this one is basically just that same machine, but with this new Tempest technology on board. If you do already have a Ren AM 500 system, you can 
get your machine upgraded to include the Tempest technology. So um, I think that's also a positive thing. You know, it doesn't mean that you've got to suddenly go out and buy a new machine. You can already upgrade the stuff that you're all very much used to. And I think that follows this story of how, you know, we want to see people adopting additive manufacturing technology, but we also want to make sure that it is scalable for their needs. And as they want to increase how much they use the technology for production applications, that they can very much make that transition um, in an easy sort of way. And so I think that was probably, you shouldn't say favourites, but that probably was my favourite thing that um, that I, I saw uh, this week. I don't know if anybody else managed to go and have a look at the, the Renishaw system. I didn't, but did, did they say anything about because obviously what they've done is, is think differently about how you can make the machine more productive rather than just go up in more lasers did they did they have they said anything about the the potential to go beyond four lasers at this point is it is it something that they'd rule out entirely or is it just uh, they found a, another way to get that, that product to that next like level of productivity they they didn't say necessarily i mean obviously when we're speaking to these companies we're always keen to ask them what's next and they didn't tell us precisely what's next but um they are just going to be focusing on building out that ren am 500 family because one of the questions they asked was well does this just replace the ren am 500 then like why would anyone want these capabilities we can get this instead and it doesn't so i don't know maybe we will see something with extra lasers in future but they didn't necessarily say but um, I did find it quite sweet that they were <laughs> they were very enthusiastic about how excited all the engineers have been about this, you know, this recodes technology. And I just think I think there's something quite cool about that, that it's not just about, yeah, my God, we've put 55 lasers in a machine. That it's something that's quite nerdy and quite, <laughs> quite intricate like this that they're just really excited about. So, you know, all the focus just seems to be on this at the moment. They don't seem to be talking about adding any more lasers but then again sam as i just said i was back at the facility in april and i had no idea they were doing this and as far as i could see they were being very open about every bit of those machines so who knows what else they've got going on at that facility right now that, that could go down that same route yeah fair enough they definitely get nerd points <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so what else sam what else have you seen this week that you think we need to that ollie and i probably should have gone to see um well, Nexa had this really. They obviously launched um, their Nexa AI platform, and they had this. I don't even know what you'd call it, but it was like an installation on their booth. You might have seen it if you walked past. Where it wasn't with not normally with softwares, you just get like a monitor, a, a, you know, a mouse, a keyboard, and a trackpad, and, and whatever else, and they'll do a demo. But they had this kind of like installation where there was it was almost in like three dimensions, and it was kind of showing you the the capabilities of of the next ai platform and basically they've they've developed that for the the zip pro system to kind of make it you know more reliable and, and more repeatable um and kind of they've they've launched that as a kind of in, industrial um zip system and and this um will you know in theory help them to to make thousands of good parts rather than just you know one or two and um it basically, you know, does does a full digital build before you start the actual build. You can you can make sure the orientation of the parts are, are the best one. You can minimize the port so that you're reducing material consumption and waste. Um, and so it's it's kind of it's similar to what we've seen before, but it's one of those platforms that uses AI, and so um, it learns from the community of users if you're using the system in the cloud, and if you're an aerospace company, for example, and are a little bit 
scared of, of using your your technologies and your systems in the cloud um you can just kind of set it so that it learns from your continued use of the printer rather than the community of, of zip pro users um they're they're launching a beta version <clears throat> next month i think they said um and then the full launch should be kind of late q1 early q2 next year i think um it is it has just been designed for the zip pro at this stage um and they've said never say never for extending it to other machines but right now the the focus is on the zip pro and i think that probably symbolizes the zip pro and zip series becoming their kind of flagship products on the sla side you hear less these days of the nxc 400 and i don't think they had an nxc 400 on their booth even though that was the first one they came to market with um so that was quite interesting they they announced a load of other stuff obviously we we covered the Ascentium acquisition um, that should be completed by the end of the year. Um, that is quite an obvious one whereby Nexa have built out first their SLA, then their SLS. Extrusion was always going to be next. And, and in Ascentium, they've, they've found the company that, you know, has this focus on on speed and, and high throughput like like Nexa does with its systems. Um, and then there's, there's complementary things in terms of addressable market so Ascentium's most of Ascentium's revenue over the last few years has come from um, its defense contracts with the US Air Force and the US Army um, Nexa hasn't penetrated that market um, Ascentium's got really deep expertise in materials going you know I mean a lot of their teams like background is an injection mold and never mind 3D printing so they've, they've got loads of expertise there on the flip side Nexa have got this big go-to-market engine. They've got machine building expertise. So, so those two um, seem to fit well. They, I think the the deal was kind of struck, um, you know, so recently that there was no real sign of a sentient on the booth other than um, the CEO Blake kind of walking about occasionally. Um, but there was no there was no technologies. There were no applications yet. Um, other things Nexa launched this week was a, a high-powered UV curing system um, that supports various wavelengths, so 365, 385, 405, meaning it's a solution for all resin printers, not just the ones that Nexa provides. Um, that is said to reduce cure times by up to 80%, um, with parts, most parts curing in under 10 minutes. Um, and then they've got these kind of predefined curing workflows that, that can guarantee consistent mechanical properties properties and predictable part performance and then they launched um they kind of updated the qls system to kind of fall in line i think it was the the 236 system that they picked up via xyz is now the 260 from memory um and so that's now kind of got the 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 nexa brand in it's in line with that portfolio um and then they released a firmer plastic co-polyester for the QLS series and then on the resin side a flame retardant resin a biocompatible dental resin and a bright white modeling resin I think that's everything they announced but there was like three or four different press releases going out yeah it's a lot <laughs> um, so there was yeah there was all sorts going on on the next move um, so they've probably been one of the busier companies this week I think I, I just had a quick question for both of you. You know, Sam, going back to the Nexa AI uh, technology we're talking about. Yeah. I feel like I've heard, I said not not very much talk of AI this week, and I thought that I'd have seen a lot of companies somehow trying to trying to jump on that. Maybe like, um, 
I don't know. I just expect to see it incorporated a lot more this week. You know, we've seen a lot of software companies, obviously AI is inherent in a lot of those kinds of things. But I don't know about you two. I just don't really feel like I've seen it yeah, as a prevalent topic on the show floor. I think it would have been reasonable to expect that a lot of companies would have been like making a big deal about it because mm. of his, you know, the trendy thing mm. at the moment. But Nexus is the only company I've seen who is making it like basically front and centre yeah. of their booth, really. And I'm just wondering, because I think that I've seen a lot more mature conversations this week, and I am wondering if, if that is partially because it is so hyped up and people are worried about it at the minute. I don't know, is, is this industry conscious of not kind of um, attaching itself to something like that when we've already had to go through a bit of a, a period of, of hype of our own? I don't know, it was just kind of an observation that I thought I would have seen more of it and I just don't think I've had many conversations on it this week. Maybe our industry is so aware of the pitfalls of so much hype that they're yeah. wary of. The, I don't know, where around the hype of AI. Like cognitive design systems, I spoke to use AI. Nectar obviously announced something this week. I know um, Mark Forge's, what's it called? Is it Blacksmith? Yeah. That tool uses AI. And I don't know where they're at with that. I didn't go on the, the Mark Forge booth this week, but um, that that's always struck me as an interesting one. I don't know really. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll see more of it into next year once companies have had the chance to to develop yeah it's kind of settled becomes yeah. real. yeah like i don't know like next up saying they've been they've been looking at it for for a long time um but they did they did kind of talk about this race to ai and mm-hmm. um you know a, a kind of a race in terms of getting ai capabilities integrated into into your offering so i, I guess we'll probably see more of it next year and in the coming years like you obviously you have to find an application for it you, you know i think everyone's gonna cotton on to the fact that if, if people are just kind of using it for the sake of using it you do need yeah. an actual reason to use it so i don't know maybe we'll see more in the coming months but yeah you're right i probably expected to see more ai chat and ai launches but it seemed to be relatively quiet on that front i guess mm-hmm. One thing that hasn't been quiet this week, or at least a word that we've heard a lot of, is collaboration. I don't know about the both of you, but I think that, thankfully, actually, most conversations I've had have had some kind of element in that, whether it's been more of a collaborative approach to working with customers or um, certain companies collaborate with other people that might even be competitors to to somehow push the industry forward and um, materialise as a company that has been very, very big on collaboration for the longest time, even when the rest of the industry very much wasn't. Um, And they've announced several collaborations and partnerships this week. Um, One of them was with Nikon SLM Solutions on the bill processor. As we know, materialise has been very much known for its AM bill processors for um, for a very, very long time. Um, and this um, this announcement came out the same day that we unveiled the new uh, Nikon SLM Solutions branding on the front cover of our magazine. So um, a lot happening there. So um, this is a build processor for the um, Metal AM machines. And I will have more information on this in an interview that I've got with uh, Materializers, um, Bart van der Schuren, um in the next couple of weeks. But um, I think it's interesting to see how, as we just talked about multi-laser systems, how you've got to consider that when working on something like a build processor to really manage all that laser capacity so that's kind of an interesting topic um unto itself um but speaking to bar he was so clear about the importance of collaboration in this industry as i said materializers long known that um and 
there was a few different ones that were mentioned. So we had HP, which I think Materials has been working with for a while anyway, but they've partnered further now with, with HP to drive the industrialization of AM. Sam, I know you had a chat with Francois from HP um, before the show about the new machines that they've launched at the event this week. Um, but there was also um, a partnership with ANSYS um, to bring simulation capabilities into Materializer's CoAM network. CoAM is, of course, a huge platform that Materializer established a couple of years ago around Formnext and they've continued to add various partners and the capabilities of those partners to the network since then. Um, and again, speaking to, to Bart, uh, is the end game just to have everyone from this industry on board this platform because it certainly feels that way. Um, not quite, it has to make sense, but um, the additions they've made this week all seem to add different capabilities. Another one with Digifabster, that was all about kind of the the um, the e-commerce experience for um b2b in this industry for people ordering parts that sort of thing so it's all about really just improving the process and streamlining it into one platform um, they've also added some updates to the coam quality and process control system too that's all about um creating quality repeatable parts which we know from our user group earlier this year in the uk that that is a huge topic for this industry and again another thing that i think i heard people talking about a lot more this year that and cost per part too they were huge topics that kept coming up in so many different conversations I had and that's great to see because one it validates the conversations we were having at our user day back in June but also it means that the industry is taking note of the things that are really going to be important when we actually speak about turning additive manufacturing from just a technology into a proper manufacturing um, industry Um, and then another partnership that I wanted to mention I will be completely honest, I am not 100% sure how this partnership is going to work, but I thought that the foundation of it sounded interesting at least. So it's called the um, AMI Navigator, so the Additive Manufacturing Industrialization Navigator. It is a collaboration between Siemens, HP, um, EOS, Dimension, and BASF AM Forward. Um, the idea from what I can gather is to really... Um, define the five key adoption stages of AM which to me sounds a little bit like our EAO framework for TST360 where you've got people that are just kind of first adopting the technology then you've got the more pro users and then you've got people all the way up to um, wanting to use additive manufacturing in a completely automated way Um, but also about helping companies really guiding them through the various stages of additive manufacturing, which we know in the industry is a very long-winded process from you know, conceptualization, design, all the way to post-processing and automation. Um, it also offers um, kind of guidance on a company's maturity level in additive manufacturing as well. So um, really looking at companies' current um current state of additive manufacturing usage but then also giving guidance on ways that they can further that usage and and, and really improve the adoption of am technologies within each business and I th- I'm, again i'm not too sure how it works in terms of how companies are onboarded with this how they access these kinds of tools and these this guidance but it seems like that when companies do access this once they come away from it they are given kind of clear guidelines on where they're up to in additive and how they can further improve the usage of it. The overall idea from what I can gather sounds like, again, another way to really drive home the um, the value of additive manufacturing and the adoption of additive manufacturing, which at the end of the day is what the entire industry wants to do. So um, I didn't get a chance to speak to I spoke to I spoke to HP and EOS this week, but this was prior to this announcement being made, so um, I didn't get a chance to speak to any of the collaborators about this in more detail. But I am kind of keen to see what happens with this, as as um as I guess it's 
becomes a little clearer how companies um, become involved with it. But um, it just kind of underscores the fact that companies are working together and people realise you can't do anything by yourself and you should really just lean on each other's expertise rather than trying to do things on your own to, to really accelerate the industry as a whole. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a, an interesting one. I don't know if there's any other kind of similar themes that you've both seen throughout this week because I know we've not got much time left to, to record before Ollie and I have to go and catch a plane. Um, it's on, on a lot smaller scale, but Rivlin Robotics mm. who quite, a, I think, an in, interesting, maybe up-and-coming company. Um, I spoke to their CEO uh, and founder, Robert Bosch, and he said that uh, companies like Solicon, uh, Yaskawa, I think, sorry to say, uh, San Goban Abrasives and LMI Technologies have all been working really closely with him. He had, his stand was quite close to Solicon. They've been helping him out, uh, giving him like technologies, working with him, which I think is something we don't really see enough of. Bigger, mm. already established companies helping out um, not a tiny company, but a company that's on its way up. No, you're right, because they were they were last year's startup winners, weren't they? I yes, think, yeah. yeah. Um, and their stand, every time I, I, I spoke to Robert for a video, which which you can find on our LinkedIn and our TikTok, <laughs> but um, every time I walked past, there was always people there. Like, it was so busy, and they've got really, you know, cool, uh, useful post-processing technologies that... Obviously, if big companies taking an interest in it, then it's, it's definitely one to keep an eye on in the next few years. And again, because I think, as we've just mentioned, that's another one of those challenge areas that we keep talking about, but it's still a pain point in the industry. So the bigger companies are going to want to look to the companies that are focusing solely just on that because that's a problem that they want to see solved as well for their own customers. So I think that's, you know, that, that's another thing that we can really be thankful for that people are opening their eyes to that, you know, different companies are focusing on these different things and different challenges different pain points and you know working together it does kind of build this greater picture and, and greater solutions to those challenges so it's been kind of I, I think there's been a pretty positive outlook this week despite moaning that I'm tired <laughs> I think that we've come away with quite a lot of good stuff and a lot of good food for thought and definitely in those questions that and um, the three of us have been um asking around the show for things like people's unpopular additive manufacturing opinions which i think will be good conversation starters throughout the rest of the year um yeah we've got a lot of good stuff um is there anything else anybody wants to add before we before we sign off and go run for a taxi <laughs> no i'm happy to let you go and run for a taxi, i think by the way a top tip mm -hmm. I, I i ordered a taxi on the app on, on the free now app yesterday and it was going to cost me 50 quid and then a taxi pulled up to a hotel and um was saying that 50 quid is for, well, 50 euros i should say is far too much huh. from our hotel to to the airport and did it for 35 so Ooh. yeah and and he, he didn't you know he didn't take a tip 35 on the dot and he was okay. happy that much so yeah those apps they they you know maybe not the way to go but we got lucky because a, a, a taxi literally pulled up at our hotel just as we were waiting for for the one we booked so cool i think we we need to get a jingle for it. additive insights top tips maybe <laughs> not <laughs> yeah. yeah that one's only relevant you know to today <laughs> in the same week so not the best tip we've got for you but okay. here's a tip. 
And it was only, it was only, I'll be honest, I only meant that for you. I wasn't really sharing that with the... With the oh, well, thanks, Sam. <laughs> why not? Like, yeah. you're paying too much for your taxis to Frankfurt, Frankfurt Airport. I can't even speak. This <laughs> it's Friday, Sam. You've been at four next all week. I, we're all in a state of weird sleepiness yeah. and dizziness. And, yeah, it's a... The, the beds are definitely a calling. Definitely. Um, um, I'd just like to add, uh, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's followed like the video content so far and supported that and there's been as we said with the questions there's lots more to come for the rest of the year and a nice little treat on christmas eve as well in terms <laughs> of video content that i think people can be quite happy with but yeah keep an eye out for that on our social media platforms even i'm looking forward to that so and <laughs> <laughs> um, well if you do want a good tip you can go to um tstmagazine.com to get your free print subscription to tst magazine we've also had loads of copies of the mag um here at form next this week so um if you've picked one up thank you very much um you can also head on over to the same website and get your uh, weekly um digest of additive manufacturing news sent to your inbox every sunday um, and I think that's about it really so thanks again for listening um, if we've seen you this week hope you've had a, a good and successful week at Form Next um, and we'll see you again next time bye <laughs>